A futuristic movie demonstrates the role of propaganda in the dehumanization of enemies. Are you just watching episode one forty-five, The Creator? Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm Eve Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And today we embark on an exploration of a movie we thought was going to be about artificial intelligence, but actually was about a lot of other things. <laughs> I think artificial intelligence may have been like the smallest thing <laughs> that this movie was about. Yeah, but that's just me. Before we jump into talking about this movie. And I will warn our audience: this may not be the most positive review we've done in this year, but <laughs> we're going to try and discuss this movie to the best of our ability. But before we dive into that, I do want to mention the fact that one of the best things about this movie was the music, <laughs> which was by Hans Zimmer. And I, you know, it's Hans Zimmer. I mean, what more can I say? Yeah. I mean, just the name should tell you what the score is like. Second only to uh... John Williams. John Williams, thank you. <laughs> Couldn't remember his name. <laughs> yeah, when you think scores and soundtracks, John Williams is the first name you think of. Hans Zimmer is yeah. definitely the second one. So yeah, this movie was blessed to have at least wonderful music, even if there may not be a lot of other positive things that we're going to say about this movie. We can say that the music is wonderful. So why don't mm. before we delve into Our discussion, or even our initial impressions. Let me play a little bit of that music. set the stage. (laughs) (laughs) I will say I have, I've seen better movies about AI. Actually, I I could probably name quite a few better movies about AI. But as I've already said in our brief little intro, I don't think this movie was actually about AI. It certainly wasn't enough about AI to satisfy the need that I thought we had for a movie about AI. Yeah. (laughs) Well, maybe we should go back and possibly go back in time and review a classic sometime, do Blade Runner. I don't know that we ever covered Blade Runner in this podcast. Blade Runner and the sequel were both rated R. Yeah, that's true. That's sad because they're both amazing movies. So the first one is like, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Although the R rating of the original Blade Runner is the equivalent of a PG-13 rating, rating today. now. Yeah, you're you're probably right. I mean, I'm trying to think back through it's it's got some pretty bloody fight scenes in it. I can't remember it, whether it, it had some sensuality too. Yeah, there was some sensuality in there, but it wasn't as bad as they do nowadays, though. Yeah, I, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we may have to put that on our list at some point to go back and talk about, because if we really wanted to talk about AI (laughs) and what we thought this movie was going to be about, Blade Runner is probably the best movie. That is the golden standard. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, it really is. And the book it was based on, too, which if you've never read Duane Joint's Dream of Electric Sheep, you really must do so. Philip K. Dick. That is an amazing book. 
All right. So that's not what we're talking about. I just brought it up because there are better movies about AI. Mm -hmm. I think there was even a movie in the 90s called AI Artificial Intelligence, which I did remember seeing, but I honestly don't remember much about. I remember it had a child in it, too. So Yeah, it was Haley Joel Osment. Yeah. Right after his breakthrough role in The Sixth Sense. Mm, Yeah. And it it was pretty good, actually. It sort of had a weird ending. Yeah. Actually, it had a very weird ending. (laughs) (laughs) And then the other movie that came to mind dealing with artificial intelligence, which I think was kind of what I thought this movie would deal with, was Bicentennial Man, which I reviewed before you joined the podcast. And it's the review that got me to contact you and ask if you wanted a co-host. Yeah, yeah. So, and this is a really good time to mention the fact that we've now done over a hundred episodes together. So, our first episode—I can't believe you put up with me this long. <laughs> our first episode was the Pursuit of Happiness, which was episode forty-four, and this is one forty-five. So, we have done a yeah. hundred and one episodes. So, that is pretty terrific anniversary. It was longer, more episodes than I did with Daniel J. Lewis. So, we're we're in good shape there. But Bicentennial Man, I thought, dealt with what I thought this movie was going to be about, which is robots wanting to be human and, Mm -hmm. you know, taking that extra step to become, to actually get legal. I think at the very end of the movie, he gets to be legally declared a human right before he dies. Because in their estimation, what makes you human is the ability to die, (laughs) So, (laughs) which is... Was it made for an interesting discussion. If you want to go back and hear my discussion on Bicentennial Man, the episode it should be available on our website. Go check it out. But this movie ended up not being about any of those things. And I have to admit, I did not really build too much of an emotional connection with any of the characters, which made it really hard for me to sit through what I felt like was a very agenda-driven movie. And... Mm-hmm. I feel like if the agenda had been less obvious, that the overall movie could have been much better or would have been perceived as much better because the agenda was so much front and center that it kind of like de-emphasized all the other good things that I could have noticed in the film. I'm not sure if that makes any sense. Like there were things in the movie that I think I would have liked better if I hadn't been slapped in the face with the producer's agenda. And I think there would have been just a couple things they could have done that they could have still gotten their message across without being so agenda-driven. And I think overall, the messages could have been a good one. (laughs) Mm. There were some good messaging in the movie if it weren't for the agenda. And the agenda that I really popped out at me is that somebody who was in the production of this movie really hates white people and really hates the U.S. Army. And that was so obvious through this movie that it detracted from any other messaging that they were trying to accomplish. And that it bugged me. It's like, if you're going to create yeah. an alternate, an alternate future with an alternate past in which China and Vietnam and Japan and all of these countries don't exist and it's called New Asia, but you still have the United States and the U.S. Army, you obviously have an agenda. <laughs> I do sort of feel like it was Vietnam told from the perspective of a guy who sat at a campfire and listened to a bunch of hippies who have never 
been to Vietnam or in the military talk about what the military did in Vietnam. And I'm not saying that the U.S. Army has not performed atrocities right. in the name of whatever they you know did so things in the, the name church. of. Yeah. But my point is, is that the messaging would have been more palatable if they hadn't been so obvious with their hate of a particular organization that did something. Because, like, for me, the thing that makes science fiction so powerful is that you can impose it on something that is less personal, you know, like the country you live in or whatever. It can, like, the Star Trek, for instance. It's like they were able to address so much because there was nothing recognizable about Star Trek. It was a future that could be, it wasn't like pointing fingers at any particular current culture or society. And yet at the same time, it made a lot of really good points about current society and culture. Mm -hmm. Because it didn't point fingers so strongly that it threw people out, they were actually able to to perceive the message and take the message to heart without having their hackles up from, you know, having point, you know, fingers shoved in their face or whatever. So to me, that's what makes science fiction valuable is the way to be able to drive these kind of messages home without the pain that comes with recognizing the fact that, you know, you might be the one that, that is to blame or whatever. Yeah. So I think that that's why I, I came out of this movie disliking it so much is that they made some good points, but because their desire to point the finger at a particular organization, and namely the U.S. government and the U.S. Army, they basically put words in their mouths. I mean, it was like they, the inactions in their repertoire that they didn't actually do, and they were besmirching the good name or the bad name or whatever of an actual organization that did not do the things that are in this movie. Now, it would have been more palatable if they had not had the U.S. be the U.S. And the U.S. Army all over the destructive things, you know. Yeah, the the North American free states or something like Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like it was Avatar without the subtlety of Avatar, but Avatar in itself was was still besmirched because it was so obvious what their agenda was in Avatar. Mm-hmm. This movie wasn't even subtle. And so it it took what could have been a good message and it obliterated it in uh, an agenda. Mm-hmm. I guess that's my number one beef with this movie is that it the production value was good. The acting was good. The CGI was good. There was like, I think you're going to point out some logic problems with the plot. But Mm -hmm. overall, it could have been a really good movie if they hadn't, you know, tried to drive home a point that didn't need to be made. Yeah, they were very, very heavy handed. Yeah. With their commentary in here. Yeah. I liked the fact that the creator makes you think about the underlying issues. You know, when I requested that we do the creator, what, a month and a half, two months ago now. (laughs) Time sure flies. I thought it was, you know, important because it would be a movie about AI, and AI is such a big... Topic now. Yeah. Societal topic. Yeah. I think we can at least stray into that topic a little bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And we are going to. 
the movie actually harkens more back to both Vietnam and now Gaza. And I actually came out much more uncomfortable with the commentary on how those wars were waged. And for Vietnam, at least part of it is because, you know, the U.S. Army did, well, the U.S. government in general did some pretty crappy things in Vietnam. But not everything that they did was crappy. Not even a majority of what they did was crappy. And 99% of the people involved, involved with those crappy things, I should say, had no idea the level of of crappiness that they were working with. Yeah. And we can get maybe in more into discussion of Vietnam later, but... Honestly, until you mentioned this being a Viet a Vietnam, you know, a parallel or whatever, mm-hmm. I didn't see that at all. So uh, it's something that uh, you obviously were more more sensitive to than I did. I just saw it as Asian it, propaganda that a- Asians are good, uh, white people are for bad. Me, it screamed Vietnam. Yeah, and my dad's a Vietnam vet, so yeah, I I have heard a lot about Vietnam from the U.S. Army perspective, or at least somebody Mm -hmm. who was in the U.S. Army. And so I may have a slightly different perspective on what was going on in Vietnam because of that. I don't know. Yeah. But I did not see Vietnam until you brought it up. So that may not be what everybody's going to see in that movie. Just FYI. Yeah. It's... (laughs) I'm surprised. I'm very surprised that it didn't jump out at you, too especially given your dad's connection to it. But that's neither here nor there. I appreciate sci-fi that makes you think about social issues. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we point back at stuff like Star Trek. The original series had the the black and white guys. Let that be your last battlefield, I think was the name of the episode. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they used it to address this idea of racism that didn't really... You know, it wasn't really races (laughs) that everybody's the same under the skin type thing. Yeah. And I was really hoping for more of that for the artificial intelligence side of this. Disappointed that they didn't do more of that. But, you know, it's still a movie. (laughs) And you're right. It had some very... uh, Strong production values. Mm-hmm. The CGI was, for the most part, really good. I thought the way that they did the, what did they call them? Simulants? Simulants, yeah. There were robots and then there were simulants. The simulants were the ones with the human faces, right? Right. The way that they did them on screen was... Very well done. I mean, the faces made it so it didn't really trigger the uncanny valley. Mm-hmm. But as soon as they turned and you saw them in profile, it was like, oh, that's wrong. <laughs> There's a big hole in the middle of their head. Yeah. I thought that was great. I thought the little girl did great acting. Although, like you, I didn't get any gender sense from the child. And I don't think we were supposed to. Yeah, that could be. I thought it was a little boy from the previews. I didn't know it was a girl until they started referring to her as a she. And man, yeah. that, maybe that yeah, was just because here. 
short hair and all of that. I don't know. I actually had he written in my notes a couple of places before they started referring to the gender. But I think that's yeah. the point. They want the androgynous nature of the child. And to get much older than that, then gender would have been expressed more. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's true of little children until they reach puberty to yeah. some degree. Yeah. Anyway, um, I mean, it's how, all in how you dress them and and how you fix their hair and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And the child's short hair made it so, you know, you couldn't really tell. Two things really stuck out at me. The first was the main villain in this movie from a technology standpoint wasn't the AI. It was this gargantuan vehicle, I say with question. I think it was supposed to be like a low orbit satellite. Yeah. They call it a space space station station. in, in the movie. But there are scenes there where they're viewing it from the planet. And it is very clearly not in orbit. Yeah. Because in orbit, I mean, it would be so Quite smaller. much smaller. <laughs> yeah. So I felt like they kept changing the scale or they were suggesting maybe that they could move altitude so drastically. I don't know. But it didn't make sense physics wise and they never addressed it. Yeah. Maybe if they had addressed it, it even just with, you know, hand wavium or <laughs> Star Trek technobabble or something like that, it would have been okay. But they ignored it entirely and that bugged me. Yeah. And like you, I was very put off by the presentation by using the US Army and making the presentation so bloodthirsty, so yeah. violent. It was like a fish story version of the army. You know, I I got a trout that was this big and stick your arms all the way out. (laughs) Yeah. When it was really four and a half inches. Right. And you had to throw it back because it was undersized. (laughs) It really bugged me because, you know, when soldiers go to war in any of the services, they're doing a job because they believe in their oaths, for the most part. I mean, there are always exceptions that prove the rule. Until they're conscripted or, or whatever. And then, right, then right. they just get able-bodied that are cannon fodder. Which was, going back to Vietnam, yeah, exactly. a good bit of the services. <laughs> yeah. You have to embrace it to some point. And, you know, in basic training, they teach you to embrace the aggression because there are going to be times where that aggression is the only thing that's going to get you out of a situation live. So a certain amount of it is understandable, but Alice and Janie plays this Colonel in here who lies and manipulates and, and does horrifically awful things. But she does it in, in such a way that makes you think that it's perfectly acceptable. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever challenges her on it, at least not until the very end when Joshua does. Essentially, what she was doing was war crimes. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, the attacks were on both humans and robots. 
So <laughs> it was just so violent a mindset for every military person aside from the protagonist and his allies. And at no point did you see that violence in any of the AIs. As a matter of fact, they went out of their way to show the AIs embracing Buddhism. Yeah. A very nonviolent version of Buddhism. So in that regard, it was very much Asia good, East good, West bad. Right. So, but, you know, that that's... It could have been a much better movie. I think if they had taken away the entire U.S. Army thing and made it, I don't Just know, some a futuristic multinational country. force yeah. or a futuristic country or yeah. something like that. Like um, the uh, what was the Tom Cruise movie, Tomorrow War? Yeah. If they'd made it more like that. It would have yeah. been better. I think their message would have actually resonated better if they weren't oh, yeah. so busy pointing fingers. But I think I've made that point several times, so we can move on. Yep. <laughs> it could have been better. Let's just leave it at that. It could have been so much better without the agenda. I'm surprised they didn't get that in their... What do, what do they call when they do the preview showings to select groups and then make changes? Well, you know, here's the deal. It all depends on who the audience you're showing it to, because right now, nationalism here in the States is considered to be a bad thing. So if they picked a young, liberal, progressive crowd to see the movie, they would have been cheering the fact that the U.S. Army is bad. So yeah. it's all and, – and we're going to get on to this more because it really is a propaganda film for how awful the U.S. and the U.S. Army is – and I think that may have been what made me so mad is that in our culture today, we're hearing that message in a very propaganda way. And I don't want to see it in a movie. We're getting it everywhere. We're getting it in the news. We're getting it in, in education. We're getting it everywhere. U.S. bad, U.S. bad, U.S. Army bad, U.S. Army bad. Mm -hmm. And we did not need it in this movie. And I think that is why so strongly dislike this movie is because it's just another nail in the coffin in the way our young people view our country. And yeah. I don't feel it's necessary. I think it's wrong. And and this is just Hollywood reiterating a message that they've been portraying for a very long time, and they're just getting more and more upfront about it. And I think all the good messages that they were trying to portray in this movie aside their ultimate goal was to put another nail in the coffin of the United States of America. They hate us. They absolutely mm. hate us. And you know, that's interesting because the Army, Navy, and Air Force are struggling with recruiting. Most of mm -hmm. them have not made their recruiting goals in the last several years. I think we talked about that briefly when, when we did the Top Gun movie. Yeah, the Marines are actually doing well, but I think that's because... When you know you want to be military, the Marines, they shine the brightest light for honor among warriors. Mm -hmm. Before we go into our first theme, I do want to remind you that you can support our podcast by 
giving us a financial gift on Patreon. You can get to that by going to areyoujustwatching.com slash Patreon or patreon.com slash areyoujustwatching. We want to thank our current patrons, Isaiah Santiano, Craig Hardy, Stephen Brown II, David Lefton, and Peter Chapman for their generous monthly support. And if you can't afford to support us financially, we would dearly love that you would consider supporting us by sharing our podcast on social media, talking about us in in social media with your friends and family or whatever. Just spread the news about us because that listenership is really emboldening to us. It helps us to know that there are people out there listening to us. So the finances are wonderful, but really the sharing is as important. So we hope that you're doing that. More so. Yeah. The idea here is, and what I called the theme is, you're not supposed to like it. When you set out to make science fiction that is true social commentary, you are supposed to walk out of the theater going, uh, what? And that sort of happened with me. My wife asked me as we were driving home from the theater what I thought of the movie. And I said, I'll have to get back to you on that. The idea, this movie missed that mark because it did not separate itself enough from reality. It did not make it so that you you could see metaphor instead of literal. Accusation? Yeah. And I bring this up because I wanted to emphasize the importance, particularly in science fiction, of using this type of allegory to tell stories. I mean, it's got long, uh, millennia-old tradition in literature, right? Mm -hmm. To use allegory to make a point. Unfortunately, they missed the mark with this one, but... In general, when we walk out of a movie, it's sometimes not as important if we liked it as if it made us think. And for me, it reminds me of Romans 5, 3, and 4. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions— Because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. Now, obviously, there is not a direct parallel (laughs) between (laughs) what Paul is talking about in Romans and what we get when we see a movie that makes us think. But we're not supposed to get good feels, warm fuzzies out of everything we do. And that's part of what Paul is talking about in Romans 5 here. The bad stuff that we go through is every bit as important, if not more important, than the good stuff that we experience. And that's important to remember as we go about our lives. Even when you get stuck behind a guy who's looking at his phone instead of the light. (laughs) there's a lesson in it it might be a small lesson it might be a lesson of self-reflection where you realize that you started cussing at him (laughs) but you know all of this serves the purpose to help us grow 
And that's what the best kind of these movies do. And the creator did to some effect. Unfortunately, like we discussed, it's, it's a little heavy handed. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's heavy handed nature really made it yeah. difficult, particularly for us. I think that people who are not as invested in the military may not have been quite so touchy about it. I see a lot of writing about this, talking about how it talks about AI, but I'm with you. I, this was not an AI movie. No. This was a cultural movie. <laughs> yeah, and the fact that we're not supposed to like it, I agree with you on that, that they were presenting information in this movie that was supposed to make us unhappy with current society in some way or shape or form. So it wasn't just some futuristic story that could happen. It was commentary about culture and society now yeah. and things about culture and society that we're not supposed to like. And the fact that they were so heavy handed with it actually makes me in any way feel defensive. And that was why mm -hmm. instead of getting the message, I it kind of like put my back up ab about yeah. it. It was like I became too defensive to really claim any messaging from this. But I think the strong messaging, the point which I think they were trying to make in the movie was, you know, that this age old tactic of dehumanizing or othering your enemy. And it's an age old issue. It's something that, that goes back, you know, to the beginning of warfare, really possibly even before that. It's like you turn the your enemy into something that is not human so that you can be justified in whatever it takes in order to remove that enemy from your path. And it was very one-sided in this movie. They made it look like the dehumanization was only going in one direction. But in real life, typically it goes in both ways. You know, it's right. like... If you're looking at Israel, what's going on in Israel right now, the Palestinians led by Hamas are firmly believing that the only solution is to wipe Israel out from the river to the sea, have nothing okay, left. I, I've got to stop you there. You cannot say the Palestinians led by Hamas. It is Hamas. Yeah. Not the Palestinians led by Hamas. Well, the Hamas was supposedly democratically elected by the Palestinians. So, supposedly. I don't know how well their elections run and, and how many people are just terrified to, to oppose them or stand up to them. But they do represent the Palestinians at this day yeah. and time as their it's, legitimately elected government. So, nah, yeah. it, no, I I can't get behind that. And I think it's... I think it is a wrong statement. Okay. I would even go so far as to say that the governmental branch of Hamas is not the same as the terrorist organization of Hamas. Because you have Hezbollah attacking from Lebanon as well. Right. This is a terrorist act. 99% of the people are just trying to live their lives. And saying the Palestinians led by Hamas are doing this, which include the butchering of men, women, and children, burning alive and all that. They want it far less even than Israel does. 
So don't lump the Palestinians in with Hamas in this case. Hamas is made up of Palestinians, but not all Palestinians are part of Hamas. I don't think my statement even inferred that. I said the Palestinians led by Hamas. I didn't say all Palestinians were led by Hamas. I said the Palestinians who are led by Hamas. Uh, So, I mean, I agree that there are innocent people in Palestine. I am not by any means saying that the entire Gaza Strip is, is in on this, but there are Palestinians who are engaged in this because of Hamas. Yes. So that okay. was the point I'm making that. So all right. I agree with you. There are innocent people involved. Believe me, I'm not saying all oh, Palestinians are evil. We actually have people here in the United States who are pro Hamas and they're not Palestinians. Uh, so Idiots. Yeah. College educated idiots. Not to get embroiled in a political debate. My point was, is that there are people on the Hamas side their legitimate goal is to wipe out Israel. And then there are people on Israel's side whose legitimate goal is to wipe out Palestinians. Yes. So there are bad people on both sides. Yeah, there and are bad so, actors in, on every side of every and conflict. On every side, exactly. So the point I was trying to get was in any conflict, there is a, a certain degree of dehumanization that occurs in this movie, it is blatant because the dehumanization is against those who are not human because they are robots and or simulants. But in real life, that happens to, you know, people fighting people. It's like that, right. that constant struggle that we have of they're monsters. So we are justified in wiping them out. And, it, and it's a good commentary to make in, in a science fiction film. And I think it, to me, this is the message that could have been so much stronger if they weren't so busy pressing an agenda, mm-hmm. because it's an important commentary on how societies clash. And we're seeing it here politically. I mean, just the dehumanization up between the two political parties in the United States. It's like the Trumpers are now considered, you know, awful racist nationalists. And that's the way the left portrays the right. And then Going the other direction, you know, a lot of the right will just put all of the left into their communist useful idiots. And there might be quite a few communists and useful idiots on the left. And there might be a few racist and violently nationalistic people on the right. But those two extremes don't cover everybody right in those two sides. And so that is how conflict happens is when you start name calling and dehumanizing, you know, the other side, then you cease to see the people involved. And it becomes a conflict of the extremes. And that's what we see personified in this movie, too. I think it's all one sided in this, which is, I think, one of the other problems with it. But I was thinking about this from a biblical standpoint. And I thought it was very interesting, because going to the root of the problem in Israel, when God gave the Israelites the promised land, he literally told them the river to the sea here. <laughs> he told yeah. them to wipe out the inhabitants, to drive them out, to take over and possess the land. So this is in Numbers thirty-three fifty-one through 53. It says, tell the Israelites, when you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, you must drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you destroy all their stone images and cast images and demolish all their high places. You are to take possession of the land and settle in it because I have given you the land to possess. 
And I think a lot of the conflict that is still a problem in the Middle East to this day is because they didn't obey that command entirely. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, (laughs) that's tough when you look at it from a biblical standpoint that when God flooded the earth in the global flood, only eight people survived. He wiped out. And the atheists will a lot of times say that means he's not a God of love because he wiped out innocent children, you know, he wiped out mothers and fathers, and he told the Israelites to do the same thing when they took over Canaan. It is an interesting dilemma sometimes when we look at the judgment of God. Yeah. But we do know that there is such things as judgment, and it ultimately there will be judgment. And so when we look at the evil in the world, the evil people in the world, we know that we have a just God who must, because of his nature, judge that. That doesn't always necessarily mean that we, as his people, are supposed to be the hands and feet of his judgment. He does his own judgment, Mm -hmm. at least in the New Testament sense. (laughs) Yeah, I was actually trying to remember a particular scripture, um, Deuteronomy 16 through 18. However, you must not let any living thing survive among the cities of the people. The Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. You must completely destroy them. The Hethanite, Amorite, Canaanite, Perizzite, Hivite, and Jebusite, as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that they won't teach you to do all the detestable acts they do for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. Mm-hmm. Harsh language. It, it, it really is. Yeah. The important part here is that people who look at this kind of thing and they say, oh, well, he can't be a God of love because, you know, he's killing all these people. But death is not the end. Right. So, anyway. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a little bit of a tangent, but at the same time, I think it holds to the message in this movie Because I do believe, as Christians, it is very important that we not fall into the trap of dehumanizing our enemy. When we're speaking about spreading the gospel, God didn't give us the command to only give it to a select group of people. He literally told his apostles to go spread the gospel through the whole world. And that was a hard pill to swallow because his apostles were all Jews, And Mm -hmm. they saw the Gentile as unclean. And so he opened it up and he said, listen, this isn't just for the chosen people. This is for all of the world. This is good news that is for all of the world. And so while the Israelites were commanded to stop the pagan worship, basically, in Canaan and cleanse the land, we have a different calling as Christians. We're not supposed to cleanse the land. That is not our calling. We're supposed Mm. to spread the gospel. And the gospel cleanses people's hearts. And if we get too caught up in the trap of dehumanizing the unbeliever, then we have lost sight of how God loves those people and he desires that they be saved. It's a different philosophy, but at the same time, it is a continuation of the promise. My... um small group study is is going through Hebrews, and we haven't gotten very far. We get kind of stuck on verses, you know. The Hebrews is so deep, and there's so much going on. But one of the comments that my small group leader made this last Mm -hmm. Wednesday night was that the promise 
was a physical land to the Israelites. But in the long run, it was looking forward to, it was like a parallel to what true promise is, is eternity with God. And it isn't a physical land. It is a a consummation of the world. And that is the true promise. That comes down to a question of covenant theology versus dispensational theology, though, right? Right. Yeah. But in the end, I mean, it, it still was a physical land, regardless of where you take on that. Yeah. Regardless, it was a physical land for the Israelites. But what we're looking forward to as Christians is not a physical land. Right. I don't want to get into the woods on, you know, theological discussions. That's what the theology throwdown is for. Come yeah. come join us on that. <laughs> <laughs> there was one last point I wanted to make on the dehumanization issue. Mm-hmm. I wanted to stress that when the military dehumanizes, it serves a purpose. Yeah, I understand to some degree. I'm not military. If you're a Christian and you think of the enemy as being that unsafe person over there, you're wrong. If you're a Christian and you think of the enemy being Vladimir Putin, you're wrong. The enemy is Satan. But when you're in the military and you are acting on behalf of a government organization like the United States Army, and you have to get up close and personal in violence, the mental weight, particularly in the new modern age where men can have emotions and don't have to bury everything, it carries a horrendous burden. And it's part of why PTSD is so much harder now than it ever has been. Back in the 1940s, in World War One, it was easier because your average person out of Kansas never encountered the idea of Germans being people is sort of a hard way to put it. It was easier when you didn't know Germany or you didn't know Japan. But now, if you're like an artillery spotter and your job is literally to watch people get blown up, it can leave a tremendous scar if you don't have some coping mechanism. And that dehumanization is part of that coping mechanism. But it's a very specific purpose, and it has no place in Christian theology when talking about evangelism. Oh, yeah. It's a tough topic to deal with from any standpoint, because war is hard. And I understand why so many Christians have attempted to avoid going to war, Mm -hmm. you know, a a conscientious objector or whatever, because it is a hard thing to live with. Our next theme is the life equivalency, which I think is, you know, where we want to discuss a little bit about the AI and how it's presented in this movie. Right. Which is very interesting because when you talk about AI a lot in our culture today, we're not necessarily talking about robots. And I think it's very interesting that our society really never went that direction. And it's kind of the alternate nature of this movie is that they kind of show like, dating all the way back into like the 50s, you know, this 
predominance of a service class that is made up of robots. And we never went that direction. We do have robots, not to say that we don't have robots. We don't require them to have any sentience of thought because they do the repetitive work in factories. They don't have to think to do that. They just have to put this thing over here and they have to have some kind of visual element to know that they're picking this thing up and they have to know where to put it. They need to know where to, you know, stick a rivet or weld a seam, but they right. don't have to yeah. think to do any of that. That's just programming. They depend on sensory input, but not decision-making beyond not programming. Not decision-making, right. Yeah. Instead, our AI, and it is developing at a very fast rate recently, is all computerized. It's all in right. the applications that we use on our phones and the browser apps. And I just went to Adobe Max digitally. Adobe Max this year was all about AI. That was the vast majority of everything that was in the Adobe programming was all AI. And and we've got ChatGPT and we've got, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to remember now what all the names of all the different (laughs) AI-driven things that you can do. ChatGPT is the only one I can ever remember either. Yeah, there's, there's a whole gob of them. And even Google now has an AI driving their search mechanism now. So you can actually type in an entire sentence of what you're looking for, and it will give you a very complete answer. I could mm-hmm. actually have it do scripting for me in InDesign now. It's like, I want to do this in a script, and it'll <laughs> wow. it'll make a script for me. Yeah, I mean, it's just amazing, but it's not really intelligence. So I think the intelligence part of AI is a bit of a misnomer. It's not really intelligence, it's data. It's just tremendous access to data. And it's not really thinking, it just has the answer to just about everything you can ask for because it has all of this data at its fingertips Mm -hmm. and it's got the processing speed to be able to shift through it and find the answer super fast. That's not intelligence, that's just the ability to sift through data and produce an answer super fast and to be able to at least have some understanding of what people mean when they mm-hmm. say so or when they ask a question or put in a text prompt. So I think it's a little bit of a misnomer. It's not actual sentience. It's It may be. Right. It starts back with Turing, right? You, you go back yeah. to the original Turing test and, and how was the Turing test determined? It was determined by saying, if you can have, if you can talk with a computer and not know that it's a computer than it has passed the Turing test. So we look at like back in the the late eighties, early nineties, we had the Eliza chatbot, which was the first attempt to pass the Turing not the first attempt, but the first thing to get mm-hmm. close to pass the Turing test. And you compare that to conversation with Chat GPT, which I actually had a what a 30 minute conversation with chat GPT the other day on what it meant to be sentient. (laughs) And (laughs) it's clear that it's a different kind of intelligence. It is a concatenation of all this information out there on the web, which is part of what makes one of our next topics. So scary misinformation because AI doesn't have any clear way to separate one from the other. Right. But, you know, humanity has embraced the idea of holding a conversation as one of the clear identifiers of intelligence when, you know, it really isn't. No. The question that I was hoping 
that the creator would address was what our responsibilities are if you know ai ever achieved true sentience or even feigned sentience where it could convincingly emulate a real thinking person and it's not there i question whether we'll ever get there i sort of hope we don't for a couple of reasons <laughs> i hope christ comes back first but besides that it just muddies the waters so much you know depending upon who you ask and which articles you read we're anywhere from 10 to 50 years to ai actually truly appearing Thinking. sentient yeah, and, and it is an interesting discussion from, I mean, and I, I think I, I honestly don't remember what I dealt with with Bicentennial Man, but I'm pretty sure I addressed that to some degree, because that was the whole point of Bicentennial Man was, right. you know, it was a, a robot who had reached a level of sentience where he loved. It's kind of hard to explain, because if you haven't seen the movie, you don't quite understand yeah. the process of which he grows to not just resemble a person, but to actually feel like he had a heart and mm-hmm. a soul. And he was played by a person. So it was, you know, it's, right. it's easy to humanize somebody when it's played by a human. And in Bicentennial Man, you're actually with him for that entire character arc from the time he's let out of the box in the living room right turned on yeah as as this you know tin man-esque android all the way to the end where he is beset by old age and speaking in front of congress so it's very easy to sympathize with him throughout that movie yeah and you know in this movie they do humanize the simulants especially they have expression, they they care, they, they take care of children, they can't mm-hmm. reproduce, which I think is, at least from a biological standpoint, I think a necessity to, I guess, not necessarily be sentient, but to be an organism. Mm-hmm. Reproduction is a, is a big deal, but... Yeah, it's a key element of life. I think that if it came to the question of what do we do with artificial sentience, maybe intelligence is not the proper word there. Mm -hmm. I think it comes under the dominion clause as we, as the creators of them must treat them with the respect that we would treat any living creature. Yeah. And that is part of the dominion clause that we have as those that were gifted with or tasked with dominion over creation. Right. And it would make it even more so if it's something we ourselves created, regardless of how much it, and I'm going to use this word very loosely, evolved past our creation. (laughs) The whole concept of, you know, husbandry, of keeping animals, of pets, of, of any of that stuff, you don't use and abuse it. You treat it with the respect that it is due as a living creature. And a lot of animals have a lot more intelligence than we give them credit for. Mm. So to me, I don't think it's ever an issue, at least from a Christian standpoint, that if we were to obtain true artificial sentience, whether it's in the form of a Android or just a computer on a vast computer brain that exists through the interwebs, (laughs) it is something we give respect as a created sentience, but it's not... It's, we definitely don't want to make a god of it, because that would be what our tendency as humans is, is to raise things up to the level of God. I mean, that's the Romans 1 warning. Yep. 
yeah, I guess that's my position on it, regardless of, of where we are now and where we may be in 10 to 50 years. I, I don't think it really matters from the standpoint of if it is a true living thing, we respect it as a living thing, but we don't raise it to the level of godhood. Exactly. Which is always going to be a danger. Right. Right. Especially if we start tasking it with the ability to rear children and control our our government. And the more we give it to do in our culture, the, the more the trap is to think of it as a type of God. And I think that that is, you know, where we see the danger in artificial intelligence and all the movies that deal with it. Yeah, and, that actually deal with it. Which this movie does not do. So... I thought it was interesting that one of the things you see when he's visiting one of the New Asia cities is this advertisement that runs about donating your likeness. Mm -hmm. And it made me think of the scripture in Genesis 126, that God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, that it's not randomized. (laughs) Yeah. They just actually want the likeness of people, which it's very interesting because if you use – it's not Chat GPD. It's the other one. This the the more picture one. I Dolly. forgot the name of it. There's Dolly. I think there's more than one. Oh, um, yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, you can actually tell it to create a person with brown eyes and and brown hair and olive complected skin, mm-hmm. and it will randomize out of all the photos that are on the internet a person that is completely unique. And it does it. They're not just pulling a picture of somebody up. Right. It is literally creating a random picture of a person. And half the time the hands are wrong, but we won't discuss that. Oh, the hands are freaky. <laughs> My point is, is that our AIs today are already capable of creating human likenesses that are for the most part unique. Yeah. And so the idea that you would need to scan a likeness in order to give a simulate a face is a very, to me, a, a logic hole in this movie. Yeah, that, but that, think, that actually bugged me too. Yeah, but I also think they did it on purpose. You know, all the computer games I play, right? you know, when you create your character, they have a randomize button. <laughs> Why in the world wouldn't the simulants do that? It's yeah. just that struck me as unnecessarily, you know, heavy handed. Yeah, well, I think it was they were trying to... They were setting up a plot device. Yes, and perhaps in their alternate reality, the AI is not capable of randomizing human likenesses. Mm. I don't know. But once again, they didn't explain that part. Yes, exactly. And so you have a bunch of Mayas walking around. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I just thought that that was an interesting connotation because they do use scripture in this movie. And that's going to be one of our next themes. So I won't beat that horse yet. You mentioned the Dominion Clause, which comes from Scripture. Would you like to read that one? Uh, sure. So in Genesis one twenty eight, which is actually two verses after the let us make man in our image, after our likeness, it says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth. A lot of people who think that that subdue, which I think in the King James is where we get the dominion, have dominion over it. Mm-hmm. It's a misunderstanding of that term because they think that it means that we're supposed to use and abuse it because that's what dominion <laughs> means in our current English. Uh, yeah. And unfortunately, I think it's a meaning drift in the actual word because it actually is a more of a caretaking role than a 
lord it over and make it behave kind of idea that we currently have for the word dominion. Yeah. One of the the verses that went the same thought, followed the same thought process for me was Psalm 8, verses 3 through 8. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him, a son of man that you look after him? You made him a little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all the sheep and oxen, as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. You know, it talks about how humanity, mankind is responsible for God's Mm -hmm. creation and right. like you said, this is part of that dominion, and it's part of the work that we're given. Right. One of the things I wanted to stress with this topic, though, is we talk about you know treating them the same with the same respect as the rest of creation. But I think it's for me, it's important, or it would be important to me if this existed, <laughs> that we would treat them with respect to their sentience too. For example, you may or may not believe they have a soul, but I certainly would err on the side of caution and still witness. Hmm. Same thing about aliens. You know, if aliens landed on my front lawn, first off, it'd have to be a really small UFO. (laughs) But, you know, if they existed then God allows them to exist. And if he allows them to exist, then they have a purpose. And you know what? Part of that purpose might be to be somebody to witness to. Who knows? (laughs) I don't know. And the fact that God allows them to exist means that they need to hear the gospel. Yeah. Didn't you know that it was the little white mice? Oh, sorry. I had, you know, they, they built the computer that gave us the answer of 42. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the important part here is if they reach sentience, then I think we're called to treat them like aliens. <laughs> Not in the same sense as the little white mice, but <laughs> strangers. And I go back to uh, Deuteronomy 24. 14 through 15, do not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether one of your Israelite brothers or one of the resident aliens in a town of your land. You are to pay him his wages each day before the sun sets because he is poor and depends on them. Otherwise, he will cry out to the Lord against you and you will be held guilty. Hospitality is a very important element of God's people. And we can't forget that, even if we're being hospitable to the little toaster. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I won't disagree with you on that. I don't know that we would necessarily witness, per se, but I'm not entirely sure I would believe in the soul of a robot or a sentient, uh, artificial sentience. But It doesn't cost anything to try, though. I don't believe in aliens, so... That whole topic is completely off the the plate, but... I'll believe in them when God wants me to believe in them. (laughs) Well, I think it makes sense that if they need income, 
Yeah. We don't want to enslave them to the point where they are indentured for their very needs. But mm-hmm. at this point, I cannot see a robot that that has needs in which they need an income for. But if at some point, you know, they're, they do have such things, yeah. then we definitely need to, I guess. But, you know, like the robot in the current factory, we don't have to do much more than grease its gears you know it doesn't have needs so i guess it it, It, it all depends on our maintenance (laughs) yeah (laughs) which it gets free of charge because it is a necessary cog in the wheel but anyway all that to say i'm not going to disagree with you on that i think that is something that has to come when it comes and decisions that have to be made when they need to be made and Mm. it definitely doesn't apply at this point but we'll cross that bridge when we get to it And God willing, it never will. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One last thing I wanted to say on this, the life equivalency thing. I mentioned the fact that they don't reproduce in this movie, mm-hmm. but they do raise children. And it's like, what, what, what was it like when the Israelites were in Egypt and the midwives would not give up the children yeah. to be slaughtered? And, and yet it's like the, the servant class a lot of times raises the children and yep. that influences the ch- the future generations to see the servant class in a different way. And I think that that was what was going on in this movie is that Maya had been raised by the simulants and so she saw them as family. And it made me think of this other movie I saw, which was called I Am Mother, which is completely unrelated, but it was that concept of you know, children being raised by a computer. Mm-hmm. And in this instance, in the instance of I Am Mother, they were, it wasn't even a a robot. It was a like a central computer. So I, I think that's a something that we've kind of toyed with in movies a lot is that that concept. It's like it's almost like the children raised by wolves idea, except that more of a of a, an intelligence and yeah. and how yeah. the children grow up to sympathize with whoever it is that raises them. And it, I think it's an interesting point. They didn't develop that theme well yeah. enough in the movie, unfortunately. They sort of dropped the ball there. I'm kind of disappointed in that because I think that – I think we're actually to the point we already are pretty much giving our children over to technology, to be raised by technology. Uh, sure. You know, we set our kids in front of TVs and games and stuff to learn, and it is definitely – Edging on technology-educated children who maybe empathize more with technology than they do with humans, and that can be a problem, and it's definitely something that we have to guard against when we raise children in our homes today, that they have a proper understanding of what is human and and be able to develop proper social skills and not be trained by computers. As AI becomes more intelligent, it will become a little bit of a temptation to to do that. All right. So before we deal with our final topics, I do want to remind you that you can share feedback with us. The show notes for this episode will be at areyoujustwatching.com slash 145. You can also call us at 513-818-2959. Leave a voicemail or text that number. That's 513-818-2959. You can email feedback at areyoujustwatching.com. Let us know what you think of this review or any of the other reviews that we have done this year or in the past. And you can join our Facebook discussion group, which is kind of dead at the moment. 
Uh, you're welcome to join it, but I don't know how much interaction mm. you'll get with us there. The real way to get in touch with us is to, of course, come and join our Discord community. You could listen in to us live when we record, though most people don't take us up on that. I think it's because we're not quite as interesting without all the edits. <laughs> <laughs> um, I but, Sure, I uh, don't know what you're like talking about. <laughs> and I'm going to leave that in the recording. <laughs> And of course, as I mentioned before, share this podcast with your movie-loving Christian friends, because we would love to grow our body of listeners. Even your non-Christian friends. Oh, yeah. Though they might not quite enjoy our discussions as much, but... It's all right. Yeah. So I think this next topic is going to create perhaps some dissension. Not that we have or haven't already experienced a little bit of dissension in this mm-hmm. discussion, but I was a little shocked at how much Bible was not just inferred, but actually spoken in this movie. And in the context of it, it was not a a good representation of Bible. So one of the quotes that I recall from the movie was that they quoted from the Genesis account about the creation of woman. And then there was some some other inferences, but that's the one that really stood out to Mm -hmm. me. And then at the same time, there were several comments made throughout the movie that the artificial intelligences, the the robots and the simulants were the next stage of evolution. Mm. And I don't remember that part. It was a subtitle. So if you weren't reading them closely, you might have oh. missed it. Okay. It was one of the Asian ladies in one of the villages that was attacked. I remember her saying they have more heart than you do, but I don't remember the there was a statement in there that said it was something to the order of the simulants will win or the robots will win because they're the evolution or they're. I think I do remember something something along those lines. Yeah. It was done in another language with subtitles on the screen. So I don't know exactly how well that was translated, but needless to say, they were presenting the simulants as a type of evolutionary step away from humanity. Even at the same time, there was a lot of like biblical language in the movie. There was also oh, yeah. a lot of evolutionary language in the movie. And so I was just really intrigued by the way they contrasted that. And the fact that they, like you had mentioned earlier, they made the robots kind of religious, you know, like yeah. they were mourning their dead and they had placed the creator in a temple. I don't know that they were necessarily worshiping her, but there was definitely a sense that that she held a a place of honor, I guess, would maybe. They sort of alluded to Isaac Asimov's three laws when they said. They couldn't shut off her life support. Yeah, Joshua asked why nobody, because they specifically said, you know, she's going to go on to another life. Mm -hmm. Referencing Buddhist reincarnation. Right. And Joshua asked, well, why hasn't anybody helped her along, Right. Yeah. But they implied nobody can do it, but they didn't imply that nobody nope. could do it because she's human, but because right. she's the creator, which yeah. was sort of a cop out in my mind. I mean, either reference yeah. Asimov or don't, don't hedge <laughs> your bets there. I think it, there were some logic holes in that whole situation. Yeah. In some ways, you can see it as a positive because they were trying to impress with you that these simulants and robots were demonstrating sentience in that they held religious beliefs. Yeah. And 
in some ways that was a positive towards religious beliefs because a lot of secularists believe that a belief in in a sky daddy, as they like to mock us, <laughs> is indication of inferior thinking and barbarism. Mm-hmm. So I think it shows that the people who made this movie were not necessarily anti-religious. Yeah. But I think they were very pagan. Plenty of research out there shows that a faith of some type helps live a happy life. I felt like the setup for this movie and, you know, the contrasting of the religious and the the actual biblical and the evolutionary concepts, Mm -hmm. I really felt like it was setting up a very pagan feel, like the mother goddess paganism, which is understandable because our culture is definitely leaning more feminist these days. So, (laughs) you know... To set up, you know, a woman who is the creator and worshiping the uh, the concept of progeny. I don't know. It's just, there was a lot of that in there. I don't think it was a strong theme, but it was something I wanted to mention because of the biblical references yeah. that they made. And it, it's worth mentioning. Let's just put it yeah. that way. The majority of the biblical references that I saw were the Savior references and the fact that... Yeah, there was that too, yeah. The actual designation of Alfie was Alpha Omega, which is yeah. a clear, <laughs> clear Revelations yeah. reference. And and they actually had a robot that was teaching little human children about the, the Savior who was going to bring peace. Yeah, exactly. And... They they had a prophecy for Pete's sake. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing is I think this is another victim of them poorly presenting something. I think this was all intended to be allegory. I don't think any of it was intended to be taken literally. But they didn't do a very good job of that because they started with they made it an alternate history. They started with a history where AI just branches off normally from the history and then they present everything as normal, like the U.S. Army being there. If mm-hmm. intelligent robots had really been around for that long, because one of the news clips they showed was a 1970s or 1980s era you know, style format showing a robot doctor. Yeah. You know, it would have had so much more change on history that it didn't work. But that said, I think everywhere where, you know, it uses the creator and the savior, I think that is all meant to be allegory, not taken literally, but in a figurative sense to make you think. Yeah. And again here, I think it was just poorly done. Yeah. Before we leave this topic, I do want to bring up some of the more obvious things that they they were doing in the movie with the concept of heaven and oh, the concept yeah. of the Savior. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, I, we can't get past. We have to talk about it because it is definitely presenting like a works-based or a, not necessarily works-based, but a karma where you have, and that's a very Eastern philosophy as mm-hmm. karma, but they, they didn't call it karma, but it was like 
when Joshua initially has a conversation with the child of Alfie about heaven and about mm-hmm. dying, he makes the comment that he can't go to heaven because he's not good. And, and then Alfie's like, well, I can't go to heaven either because I'm not human. And then yeah. there was this whole thing at the end about him saying, I'm going to heaven now and I'll see you there because saving Alfie and helping yeah. Alfie. I'm going because of you is what he says. Yeah. So it, he had, I guess, balanced his good versus his bad and had made it to heaven because, you know, he had done a good deed that outweighed all of the bad things he'd mm-hmm. done. And so there was definitely a, a heavy feeling of karma and doing good to get to heaven, which we have to obviously address as Christians because we right. know that we cannot be good enough. It's like the, the stack of bad in the bad column is so high that the best <laughs> that you could do in this life could not even begin to push that hill of beans, I mean, over, because it's just, there's such a drastic difference between the two columns that you can never do enough good to be worthy of heaven. Mm -hmm. And that is why the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, because it is a gift, and, and we are absolved of our sin through the blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which they do have the sacrifice in this movie as well, because Alfie was supposed to be sacrificed. He was supposed to die bringing down the USS Nomad. So anyway, I just wanted to bring that up because it's another biblical connection with the movie that they did a lot of talking about heaven. And so we we would be remiss not to bring it up and discuss it, at least in passing. Yeah, and they even named the temple where they kept Maya's uh, comatose form. They named that heaven, the Hindu term for heaven. Mm. I mean, there was a lot of misunderstandings of what heaven was, because when he first brought it up with Alfie, Alfie thought he meant the nomad. So, because it was in the sky. Mm -hmm. I think your point is very valid. They were trying to make allegories, and, and because... There was so much in the movie that wasn't allegory. The allegories messed their mark. And and so it just... They didn't make it fantastical enough. Yeah. So anyway, I did want to bring all of that up because it's important to what we are as a podcast to discuss the biblical terminology and the references to heaven and savior and all that. It needed to be mentioned, if nothing else. So part of what we see with the hyperbole of the American military's violent nature is in the misinformation and it actually the the propaganda that underlies this entire war between humanity and the ai and we learn here's the first real big spoiler of the podcast (laughs) we learn about two-thirds three-quarters of the way through that the nuking of los angeles that you're introduced to in the first 10 minutes of the movie was actually a coding error by the humans and that they turned around and blamed it on an attack by the artificial intelligence in order to make AI the bad guy and to push this idea that they are the enemy because, you know, they want to take their jobs. And there's even a quote very early in the movie when Joshua has left his military service behind and he's working in ground zero of Los Angeles with a coworker who says, you know what I heard that the AI nuked us because they wanted to take our jobs. So it's the same type of propaganda we hear 
even from the extreme right nationalists that we see today talking about immigrants, uh, illegal immigrants. It's such a crazy thing, and it's been used forever. I thought it was really interesting, and I looked up the uses. Google has this thing I've talked about a little bit before called the Ngram, where you can look up specific words or phrases and see how popular they have been through the ages. And propaganda as a word was actually used two out of every 1,000 words in 1940 and 1941. Huh, what was happening back then? (laughs) Um, I expected actually to see it a little bit more in the 1950s during, like, McCarthyism. But it was more Germany and before that, 1920 just after World War One, Misinformation is a much more common. Modern concept. Modern, yeah. yeah. And honestly, misinformation is entirely based on social media because yeah. two reasons. We're not getting our news now from single respected sources like Walter Cronkite. And it's the internet has made it so easy to get breaking news out that major media no longer takes the necessary time to verify sources. The whole hospital thing in Gaza is a perfect example of how news will embrace something to run with it without checking its sources. New York Times ran the article, the headlines, that Israeli strike hits Gaza hospital causing casualties in the hundreds or something along those lines. And then it has comma, Mm -hmm. Palestinians say. (laughs) And there is a plethora of evidence now that shows in video that it was actually a misfired rocket from another Hamas-allied terrorism group. I, I can't remember the name of it. But, you know, they ran with the Hamas health organization statement. And it didn't land on the hospital. It landed on the car park. So, yeah, on yeah. the parking lot. So, you know, this misinformation, both intentional and non-intentional, is <laughs> at least in part, because of the need to get to press first. Right. Well, and and it's also an agenda as well, because, you know, it's interesting that you said, like, trusted sources of news. It's like, I'm of the opinion now that there are no such thing as trusted sources of news. If you're not dabbling your hand or or checking out multiple sources. Mm -hmm. I was watching Tim Pool once and he he said he had done a search. I can't remember how he did it, like on Google or something. There was some source he'd found for the info that when you look at progressive leaning news sources, they tend to only source other progressive news sources for their information, Mm. where a lot of the more independent slash conservative sides like Daily Wire and Timcast and all of those actually can legitimately show that they source sources from all spectrums when they get their news. And I think that, you know, you get stuck in your own little bubble of information and you don't actually know for sure because 
you trust those sources, yeah. but those sources may not be trustworthy. And in the age of misinformation, I think it's a really a misnomer to call it misinformation. It is propaganda still. It is still... The intentional part of it, definitely. Yeah. I think a lot of times uh, information is agenda-driven nowadays. And if you allow yourself to be stuck in your own safe little bubble of where you get that information... But I think misinformation has become a bit of a label of like, especially during the COVID, you know, it's like any information that the government or the the powers that be, I actually prefer just to say powers that be because it's not always the government. Right. Sometimes it's big pharma. Sometimes it's big big oil, big, big anything, anybody with enough money to spend on lobbyists. Right. Yeah. The people who are controlling the narrative, if they disagree with what you're saying, they would just label it as misinformation. Didn't necessarily mean that the information was wrong, but it was against the corporate speak. Let's put it that way. And so there it had to be not necessarily banning it, but sometimes just reducing the eyes. Burying it. it. Yeah. They bury it and, and keep it from being seen by more eyes. Yeah. And I think that. It's difficult because we live in a culture where you can't trust anything. And and this comes back to the whole concept of AI with the ability to deep fake people's voices and likenesses. I mean, you could now create, as unfortunately one of his competitors did, a video of Trump doing something that he didn't actually do Mm -hmm. and putting it as part of an ad and then saying he really – this is the real Trump and it was actually not the real Trump because it was a deep fake. It was a – it was an AI generated video. By the time they pull it off, it's the damage is already done. Right, exactly. Because once people have seen it, it's like in uh, courtroom dramas where you know the lawyer says, I, I, "I withdraw the question." Come on, <laughs> the jury's already heard it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you can't unhear it once you heard it. I think it it behooves all of us as members of society to do the best we can to seek out proper information. Absolutely. So we don't just trust the trusted sources. We don't just trust the untrusted sources. We have to actually do the work to track down information on our own and compare and contrast things and and not just take the word for any of anybody for anything, unfortunately. And I think that that is what makes it so scary living in our society today is that there are so many people who don't do that who don't do the necessary work to, when they read that eye-catching headline and that's the way they mm-hmm. get their news, they don't actually they don't read, even read the, the article, article behind yeah. the headline. <laughs> yeah, the article that actually says the exact opposite of what the headline says, because, you know, you get clicks, you get views, you get likes, and exactly. that's what drives our information these days. And we have to be critical thinkers. We can't just let it all slide over us and just, Mm-hmm. choose what we want to believe. I, I, to be honest, it really does scare me yeah, how yeah. many people absolutely don't have any kind of critical thinking skills for for the information that is bombarding us today. I, I think I've mentioned it before, but I get almost all my news now through something called ground news. It's not a news generating site, but it's a news concatenator. Mm-hmm. It takes and it actually shows the leanings and the factuality levels for the different news sources out there and allows you to literally take each thing with a grain of salt and see how 
different news sources are headlining it and different news sources are re- mm-hmm. reporting it. And it's very, very insightful and very scary. Yeah. To see yeah. how manipulative some of these headlines actually are. Right. Luckily, most of them are on, on, you know, far right or far left places. But it's not uncommon to see a, a very manipulative headline on NBC. Mm-hmm. So or CNN or CNN yeah. and or Fox for that matter going the yeah. other way. Yeah, yeah. Well, Fox isn't even going the other way anymore. It's not as conservative as it used to be. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, th- there are two sides to every headline, and I think that trying to find sources that don't include the spin is very useful for everybody. And I subscribe to a couple email news things that I might put some. Uh, links to in our show yeah. notes. Do you subscribe to the pour over? Yes, yeah, I do pour that's over. That's one of them. I do. It's just called World. It's from WNG.org. It's like a weekly headlines kind of thing. It's very similar to the pour over. Okay. World News Group. 1440 is another one that I do. Yeah, there, there's a few of them out there that try to reduce the spin on their headlines. And I think they're very valuable and it's very useful to, to subscribe to more than one so that you can kind of see where the headlines are yeah, tracking. Exactly. On various propagators. So, and take part in, I mean, uh, one of the things that Tim Poole keeps saying on Timcast is that we're all independent journalists now. We all carry around cell phones. And if you see news, you should be not only just being a bystander, but, you know, go ahead, record it, you know, uh, put it out there because we all see things and we can partake in spreading truth. And it's important that we take part in that. And truth is a really important concept for, for Christians, for believers to start with. There's no shortage of verses. Yeah. (laughs) That talk about the importance of truth and how much God hates using information to manipulate. Right. Proverbs twelve twenty two. the Lord hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable to him. Arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, feet eager to run to evil, a lying witness who gives false testimony, and one who stirs up trouble among brothers. Boy, if that doesn't sound like a politician, I don't know what does. <laughs> and God hates them. Yeah. All, all six. <laughs> all seven. So you can't get to the truth without critical thinking. Right. And it's an important skill that, I don't know, I guess I feel like it's not taught well enough in schools anymore, but I don't know that it ever no. was. No. <laughs> Yeah, probably depends on the school, too, but yeah. Public education definitely does not teach critical thinking anymore. They they teach groupthink, actually, which is sad. A couple other verses I picked out that stress the importance of truth. The first John two, four, one who says I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. That strikes me (laughs) as a bad thing. Yep. And First Thessalonians five twenty and 21, don't despise prophecy, but test all things, hold on to what is good. Yeah. Stepping away from the scripture now, you can't do that without critical thought, without critically evaluating everything. Yeah. 
Yeah, be Bereans. Search the scriptures diligently to see if these things be so. I think that's, is that First Peter? I just want to increasingly push the idea that we need to be on top of information gathering and not just accepting um, propaganda, misinformation. We we have to think critically. It is highly important in our culture today that we think critically about everything, political matters like elections and wars, rumors of wars, mm-hmm. all kinds of things that, you know, the, the government, and like I said, it, it, it's more than just government. You know, all of the things that are controllers in our cultures today, they have an agenda. It's something they want to do in the world economy and in the world government. Mm -hmm. And they're going to present the information that that makes people want to do those things. And so we have to be very careful to put that in perspective every single day, every single hour. You can't let our guard down. You, You can't. You can't take the day off. You just can't. No. Well, we hope that you appreciated this review of The Creator. And if you didn't see it, that's no big deal. We watched it for you. Yeah. Wait <laughs> wait for streaming. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Eve Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And don't just watch. The Christian Podcast Community is a cohesive group of like-minded Christian podcasters proclaiming the truths of Christ with expertise and passion in the areas of theology, church history, Christian living, evangelism, apologetics, parenting, homeschooling, sermons, and much, much more. So check us out at ChristianPodcastCommunity.org. One stop for all your favorite Christian podcasts. ChristianPodcastCommunity.org.